Hello and welcome to Energy Policy Cast, where we share recent research in energy policy. I'm your host, Daniel Sneon. Today we are joined by Stefan Petrovic, a talented researcher and colleague of mine in the Energy Systems Analysis Group at the Technical University of Denmark. And Stefan has, as part of the Strategic Research Center for Fourth Generation District Heating and the Heat 4.0 projects, done some quite interesting study on the uh, uh, newcomer in energy systems, so to say. And that is the role of data centers in uh, energy systems. So specifically, you call your paper, Stefan, data centers in the future Danish energy system and I think that really uh, goes to the point of it because we're quite interested, at least I am, in, in learning about what their role is in as part of the future energy systems. So Stefan, maybe before we go, go into uh, the nerdy details, you can just explain a bit about your background and, and how you ended up in Denmark looking at data centers. Yes, yes. thank you Daniel and thank you for the opportunity to talk about my research. Uh, yes, first of all, how did I come to Denmark? So in 2011, 2012, mostly 2012, I was applying for some interesting PhD positions and I got uh, accepted at DTU, at Energy Systems Analysis Group, uh, where I came to work on uh, geographical representations of renewable energy systems. That was my the name of my PhD project, which was within the 48 Research Center. So from uh, from my start in Denmark, I was working on ex- on district heating, and then uh, I have a personal interest in in excess heat and how something which is so nice and so useful can be can be for free like excess heat or waste heat, and uh, like data centers are a logical continuation of uh, yeah district heating, excess heat, and so on. So that's how I I started working on data centers, and of course yeah it's a relevant topic we we had all these uh, headlines, yes, like data centers are going to disrupt the energy system and so on. So, yes, we decided to, analyze, to, to work on this. But, but before we go into the, the, the research itself, I want to say that uh, this uh, paper and this research builds on, on the master thesis by, of Alessandro Colangelo, who, who was our master thesis, guest master thesis student at DTU, supervised by, uh, by Alexander, supervised by Chiara, by... Mauricio and by Kenneth. I think he had, and, and maybe somebody else from Italy, but he had a lot of supervisors. I was not his official supervisor. Then I had an idea, like, like the guy did a very nice piece of work, especially for a master thesis, so let's try to convert it into a paper. So after his master thesis, I took over to, and, and made a paper of it. And I should say, we, we're of course uh, linking to that paper in the show notes of this episode and the names that you just mentioned. I think at least some of them are co-authors on that same paper. Yes, exactly. Yes. But going from from that, so I think you've touched upon the motivation already, uh, the the general hype you can say, I guess, around data centers. But but why why are they relevant to to look into uh, if we we go more in in energy terms? Yeah. Well, first of all, data centers are coming as a huge electricity consumers, and in in, in the paper you you mentioned, and we are building our discussion on. Uh, we analyzed a couple of scenarios uh, described by how many data centers are coming in. But in the drastic scenario, or how we call it, exponential scenario, we are getting around 30 terawatt hours of the electricity consumption from data centers. And 
if you put it into perspective that we have around uh, the, the 36 terawatt hours of demand today, so it's almost doubling the, the today's electricity demand. So from that perspective, you could you could expect or one could expect that data centers are going to disrupt the energy systems, the energy system as large electricity consumers. And then the, the, where my interest specifically comes into the play, um, yes, they also have large amounts of excess heat. They need to be cooled and then uh, and then uh, they produce large amounts of excess heat. So yes, large electricity consumers, large excess heat providers. So and how does this change the energy system? That makes sense. You just mentioned the utilization of excess heat, which is key in, in your study. Can you just uh, explain to us what, how is the heat more practically utilized from the data centers? Yes, uh, I'm. I'm uh, I didn't say in my background, but I'm an electrical engineer, so I'm uh, I'm an electrical engineer for electrical power systems. So I'm not a mechanical engineer, but in in broad terms, I can explain. So, so data centers are operating and uh, they are providing some IT services, but they also uh, they also need to be cooled because they are producing heat and they need to be cooled. So they consume electricity for IT services. They consume electricity for for cooling, and they they give out. Of course, in energy terms, IT services are not are not classified, so so they also give some excess heat. This excess heat is is depending depending on the on the outside conditions, on the outside temperature. It is about 30 to 40 degrees. Since the supply temperature of our district heating grids are around 80 even 90 degrees, uh, so of course this heat cannot be utilized directly. It needs to go through a heat pump. Then this heat is uh, this heat is upgraded. And sent to a district heating network. So in our in our analysis, it's it's relatively simple structure. So we have a data center giving giving away excess heat. This excess heat goes to a heat pump, of course, in which we need to invest. And then when the heat goes out of from from the heat pump, it goes directly to the district heating grid. Right. So so I think that explains the basics. Uh, even though you're not a mechanical engineer, so well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and maybe I should just say for for our uh, Yankees listening in, the Americans, uh, if we are speaking about roughly 30 degrees Celsius in in excess heat, that's equivalent to roughly between 80 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So just to have those numbers in in put in context. Regarding the uh, yes, the I can, choice, if I can add one thing, Daniel. So it's uh... Sure. The, the, on the temporal profile of this excess heat. So, so the the nice thing about this excess heat is that, uh, based on our assumptions and and we have some some good reasons why to assume that it's about it's a constant load. So it's uh, 30 to 40 degrees coming all the time. So that that's also quite important. So yes, it's 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 a it's a uh, relatively high temperature heat. Okay, not high temperature, but it's also much better than than uh, than air temperature and much better than ground temperature. So so uh, the quality of heat is 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 nice. So we can achieve uh, decent or relatively high COPs, coefficients of performance. But also we get this heat at at a very steady steady profile. That's a good point, and it certainly holds interesting prospects for for maybe storing that heat. But that can be a whole other discussion. Uh, exactly, exactly. Between this, yeah. I mean, uh, if you are just giving a hypothetical situation where you would supply a district heating area or a small uh, or uh, yeah or a small district heating area of only from a data center, so in some parts of the year we have too much, in some parts of the year, for example, in summer when you only supply hot water, you would have too little heat. So as you say, yes, uh, storage would be the right thing to do.
That next study, perhaps. But before we go uh, into the results, perhaps you can just—I uh, I think your your choice of scenarios that you have explored you, uh, is quite interesting, and and you mentioned one of them. Uh, but perhaps you can just briefly introduce us to uh, the difference between you apply a frozen policy scenario and a carbon budget scenario, and you also apply different levels of deployment of data centers so perhaps without confusing us yes. too much uh, you can give us the outline of, of what you did there when you when you I'll go back to to your your previous remark yes if there is a next study um, on on how to store heat from data centers i think i'll come to you i think you are more the expert on that <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll come back to uh, to your question so yes uh, we had two main scenarios Carbon budget and frozen policy. Uh, carbon budget is basically a CO2 limit, how much can the whole energy system emit from now to 2050? And then the model optimizes when to emit the, the CO2. Uh, on the other, that's a carbon budget scenario. And uh, yes, and in this one, we want to go below two degrees and with 66% uh, confidence. Uh, which basically gives the, the, the cap on, on, on CO2 emissions. The frozen policy scenario uh, basically assumes that the policies we know and which are already implemented today, they'll stay from now to 2050. So it's basically one is, yes, continuation of today. The other one uh, gives a cap on CO2. And then in the sensitivity analysis, we change the... Uh, number of data centers of the total electricity demand of data centers. Uh, we had three options. One was uh, efficiency option. The other one was uh, efficiency and opt-out. We, we merged into one where basically the, the, the number of data centers of the consumption of data centers goes down. In one, it goes steadily up and in one goes crazy up. So... And I, I think your choice... Uh... As a use, doing it as a sensitivity makes quite good sense. First of all, because I guess you, it's hard to predict uh, what the development is going to be. But also, I think I've seen quite a lot of secrecy regarding the deployment of data centers. So you see uh, plots of land getting bought by mysterious buyers, and then suddenly you you have announcement in the news that that we're going to uh, deploy this very big data center here, which is ha going to have uh, substantial impacts on the energy system. So. I think your 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 approach on on choosing a wide array of possible deployment options is is a good way to ex explore the, uh, the the different uh, possible path paths that this is going to take. Yeah, I, I I agree, but I also have another comment to that. Uh, we didn't think of those sensitivity scenarios. We took them from uh, COVID's report on large scale data centers. So we, I I agree, it's not very clear. Uh, how do they come to those numbers? Uh, but also it's beyond our analysis. So for us, or for this kind of energy systems analysis, national energy systems analysis, uh, this is basically ex exogenous. We don't optimize on the data centers. We we just supply their electricity demand and we just utilize their excess heat. So for us, they're outside of the system boundaries. We don't decide uh, if they are going to be implemented. We just say, when they, when they are implemented, what are we going to do with them? So, or how are they going to affect the system? So it's like it's like uh, an impact from outside of the system. 
Good point. Okay, and we so we don't have the expertise or 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 know or or wish to go into that area. Say what should happen in the uh, in in our planet or what geopolitical things should happen, and then the data centers will come in Denmark. We hope that COVID did good work on that. Then let's let's go into your area of expertise, which is to look at at the energy system impacts. Um, yes. One one of them, uh, perhaps you can put it in context of the the current uh, Danish energy system. But uh, I I saw some of the results where the data centers is translating into an increased energy demand of three to six gigawatts. So I'm not talking about megawatts or smaller scale, but gigawatts, which is a substantial amount of deployment of offshore wind capacity. That's just one example. And I think you mentioned already that that we will maybe in the extreme scenario see a deployment of, of electricity consumption, which is roughly equal to the existing Danish e- electricity consumption. So these are, these are uh, very large numbers, um, but perhaps you can just dig into the, to some of those that, that, that you found found out in the study. Yes, I, I don't find it so surprising that, that if you put so much data centers, something needs to supply this demand. And uh, the model, simple based on cost basis, decided that it should be the offshore wind. So it's, let, let, uh, let me just say, so it's not only offshore wind, it's all kinds of production technologies and in these three to six gigawatts will be, excuse me, these data centers, uh, in in addition to the base case, so if we compare case with no data centers and case with data centers, we get additional three to six gigawatts of offshore wind, just to, just to make this thing clear. Because uh, basically our onshore potential for wind is limited and we have a cap on CO2 this way or another way. So either in a frozen pollution and carbon budget scenario, uh, so, so it's 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 in this way or another, it's a carbon budget either made by laws or by Danish regulation or made by uh, by this uh, Paris scenario, uh, Paris Agreement uh, derived uh, CO2 cap. So, in any case, we cannot produce any more CO2. Uh, then we then we are left with uh, we, with a couple of supply options. If we forget about import and export, which is quite bounded, so we cannot really rely on Germany at least in these model runs. So we are left with onshore wind, we are left with offshore wind, we are left with some PV, but uh, of course uh, Danish potential or Danish PV re- or solar resource is much is uh, much poorer than our wind resource. So so it, well yeah well there are, we don't have that many options. So yes, um, offshore wind is what we can do is the best what we can do. That makes sense, but I'm I'm I was a bit puzzled by uh, because uh, earlier you explained about this sort of the baseload char- characteristics of of uh, data centers, so they more or less have a constant uh, supply of heat and also a constant consumption of electricity, and there's this compared to uh, to the variability of offshore wind. Um, how 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 do we close the gaps, or how do you see that that wind is is supplying? Well, I guess not all data center need, but but how is the electricity supplied in 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 broad terms, from a variable source to a baseload consumer? Yes, that, I think that's a that's a good question, and and maybe we are coming to a to a small limitation of of the present study. So, so I need to to say a few words about the model we use for this study. So that was this was times decay model, 
It's a linear optimization model, belongs to the Times family of models, two regions, the East, East Denmark, West Denmark, allowing imports, allowing exports. Uh, but what is important for your question is that we only have 32 times slices. So, of course, there is an energy balance or there is a uh, there is a electricity balance. Demand, uh, demand is uh, smaller than or equal to the supply uh, in every time slice. Uh, but the time slices, of course, if you have 32, they, they are not so... They are not so uh, how to say they are not of short. They are, they, are, they have a relatively long intervals, and uh, what is specific for our time slices is there is that they are not uh, chronological and they are not of equal length. Uh, so if you are looking for these short-term uh, flexibility issues, probably times decay is not the best model. It is the model which covers all the sectors and looks very far to the future and so on, but it's not the best to short-term flexibility issues. So what happens within an hour or what happens within a, within a half a day, we cannot look with this model. But still, I think uh, I, I trust the model so far as that it actually managed to find a balance where, where this was the solution. So I, I guess uh, electricity demand is covered in, in those terms. So I, yes, for sure. I, I'm sure that the, these results are valid in, in that respect. So, But that, thanks for, for clarifying that. Um, I think that that was uh, quite transparent. Regarding uh, another actor in the energy system, uh, you mentioned in, in your study, uh, if I understand correctly, that data centers may be in competition with power to heat. So that is typically heat pumped, uh, which is also a, a somewhat uh, hyped technology in, in the current and future energy system. Can you just speak briefly about what, what are the interrelation between those technologies and, and how do they play together? Yes, how do they play together? Well, the, the statement was that they play they, they play a bit against each other. But but let me just explain uh, why why um, how did it come that they are actually playing against each other? It was in a in a uh, the, what we call um, the high uh, data center scenario. I'm looking for the name. Yeah, it's called high data center. So where we get all these 30-ish uh, terawatt hours of electricity demand. Uh, that's where you, that's where we get a re, the only real competition, and that is between the the large scale heat pumps and and the data centers, because the rest is more or less locked to industrial excess heat. And I say industrial excess heat that is high quality, that is large temperature, high temperature industrial excess heat, that is also high temperature excess heat from biorefineries. So we need biorefineries to produce uh, renewable fuels to use them in the transport sector. They release huge amounts of, of excess heat. So we have high temperature heat from, from industries, high temperature heat from biorefineries. Uh, then we get solar heating, which is uh, up to a certain level, which is quite beneficial for the for the system. We have uh, some waste CHPs because we don't have where to use the waste. We need to burn them in the CHPs. That's a constraint in the model, but also like if you, we think outside of the model, what can you do with the waste in the future? You, it, they, it's not possible to recycle uh, to increase recycling uh, by factor of two or something, so so we are left with waste which we need to burn, and then and then the the gap which is uh, which is around uh, I wouldn't say even a half, but less than a half is between the large scale heat pumps and the data centers, and uh, and that's where the competition is, and and uh, I, I think that the heat from data centers is uh, is a bit. Uh, is a bit more uh, of higher temperature, so it goes in. But in a high DC scenario where we have too much 
excess heat from data centers, then it's still the heat pumps which need to come in, uh, come in and, and kind of under quotation marks use the electricity from, from offshore wind. So that is where, where the competition really comes. It's not in the base case where we go with this uh, average or this, uh, yes, let's call the, the base case deployment of data centers. It's, it's only the competition comes only in the case where, uh, where we get this exponential deployment of data centers. Mm, okay. And I, uh, from an energy system perspective, I guess that's almost at a point where that is a problem that we would like to have, I guess, because we, in that case, would have abundant resources uh, that 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 should be able to cover our energy demand. Yes, I, I mean exactly that is that is really the 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 the, the case we we desire, or that that's the case we wish to to come to. So we have excess heat from industries, excess heat, and that's all. Uh, excess heat which doesn't require heat pumps so by refineries industries and then we have some some chps which also produce electricity and can be used for balancing then we have some solar heating so it's really a nice case uh, i mean uh, I, I have those graphs just in front of me and then uh, I, I have chps uh, probably for a good reason i have them in gray color and then this gray color comes very very little uh, to the end of the period actually in 2050 so i think that's uh, that's that's where we should go so it, it's it's uh, it, it, my opinion goes even beyond this study. I think that's where we should go. Use all the available excess heat we have, uh, install some solar heating, and then yes, of course, large-scale heat pumps and 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 burn some waste. And I think that that's a, that's the best mix for the district heating production. Mm. Mm. W- one of the interesting findings I I would imagine before reading this study that that when you introduce uh, substantial amounts of of uh, electricity demand in a system and in overall make these very large uh, changes in the en- energy system that that costs may somewhat vary but but reading your study it, it seems la- that that the impacts on on electricity costs and heat costs uh, are almost unchanged is that explainable? Yes, I think uh, that that you 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 always bring me one one step back that I need to explain what kind of model are we using. But it's uh, again times is uh, just just so it's clear to our to our listeners that the times uh, is a linear optimization model, but it also has some some key assumptions like perfect competition and perfect foresight and uh, uh, in this kind of. Uh, Yes, and also like we can export and import electricity. So in this kind of uh, setup, I don't think it's unexpected. All, I also heard that that uh, from from the news that yeah, like data centers are going to increase the electricity demand. But uh, I'm just going to to say how our model how our model thinks about that. So our model sees that the demand is going to be. So it sees everything from 2010 to 2050. So it has a perfect foresight. It knows that the model. I'm always says model knows, but it's under quotation marks. So the model knows that the data centers are going to be installed, and then the model tries to build wind as fast as possible. Of course, when I say as fast as possible, we have some constraints. So the model cannot be build the five gigawatts of wind in one year. So it needs to. It has some diffusion constraints, which which slow down how fast can we build the wind. Uh, but coming back to 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 your question, uh, and and again saying I'm a power system engineer, I'm not an economist. So if I make some bad explanation in that regard, I'm I'm uh, saying I'm sorry in advance. Uh, yeah, but uh, I would assume if Denmark is an island, so if Denmark is a uh, Denmark is an island, but uh, uh, partly an island, 
island but uh, if it would be closed if it wouldn't have any connection to the neighbors then that would make sense yes if you uh, and if if the model would not be able to install so if we would have overnight uh, 30 terawatts of data centers of course the electricity uh, price would go up but so the model on one hand can can export import which is nice and also has time to prepare for the increased demand so saying all that i don't see a reason uh, why why the model wouldn't pay only uh, wouldn't uh, have the electricity price equal to LCOE of wind or something like that or in the, or LCOE of the electricity mix? Uh, yeah, bottom line, uh, Denmark is a small country and we have the big neighbors. Uh, I mean, uh, electricity wise, big neighbors like Norway, like Sweden, like Germany, and they influence the electricity price in Denmark a lot. So even if no changes would happen in Denmark, we would still uh, we would still feel a lot of influence by by German and Norwegian and Swedish electricity prices. So basically, you are dropping quite large data centers into the uh, ocean of uh, of electricity, in, yes. you, so to speak, in the northern Europe, but. What you're saying is that the Northern Europe ocean is so big, so even uh, the splash they they make is is uh, not substantial enough to yes to exactly raise exactly. The but we can, we can also make a small extension to that. I mean, I completely agree with what you, how you understood it. it it's uh, I'm just letting my my imagination work. Since since uh, the temperatures are key to uh, to having cheap cooling. Uh, so the lower the temperatures, the cheaper the cooling is for the data centers. So what if what if uh, all the data centers are going to be deployed in 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 Denmark, in Sweden, and in in Norway? Then maybe that would uh, actually uh, move the, the electricity prices. Uh, but yes, since we look at data centers in Denmark and and assuming that nothing drastic happens in the other Nordic countries, I think that, uh, yes, there is no other, other result than, than we, one we got. So I'm, 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 I believe in this result. One one of the uh, the constraints you mentioned, or you could say it's a barrier, is uh, the constraint you applied on onshore wind, which I guess is uh, has many different reasons. But in any case, it's it's somewhat uh, a barrier to to reach the uh, ideal case, I would suppose. Um, and without getting political or any way, I'm, I'm interested in in if you see in your study, uh, is there other barriers to to reach the more ideal case uh, if you can yes, talk I'll, about I'll just such say a case we mentioned two constraints just to just to put these two constraints to explain that they are actually different constraints one thing is the fusion constraint so that the model cannot build uh, millions and millions millions and millions of megawatts or uh, of wind turbines overnight or over from uh, one time period to another so it can only build uh, at certain speed that's one constraint and the other is that uh, uh, how much wind in total can be built uh, in Denmark East and Denmark West? Talking talking onshore and offshore. And I guess you were you were referring to onshore. 
that that was at least one of the uh, sentences I I saw in the paper. But I'm also thinking about barriers more broadly yes. than, than okay, we can on, start onshore wind with, uh, specifically. With a very few on, on onshore wind, but uh, I guess they are they are included in the model, and that is that basically people don't like to look at wind and. Uh, mm, Yes, I was recently involved in two studies, uh, one for Denmark, one for Great Britain, um, where we, uh, at least for Great Britain, we try to quantify what are the costs. Uh, we, we, link, we link scenicness or how pretty the areas are uh, with the cost of energy transition. So we just assume if, uh, if uh, we don't utilize the prettiest places, how will this affect the, the cost of the energy system? Uh, or the energy transition to 2050. Uh, yes, and uh, the main author is James Price. So if you are interested in that paper, Google James Price, and uh, it's called something like Landscape Applications. Uh, it's published in IEEE Transactions on Power Systems. It's a nice paper and actually gives another perspective. Uh, it, it includes these non-technical aspects into, into very uh, detailed technical modeling. But the uh, explanation is quite simple. If you don't want to use the cheapest resources because they uh, ruin your site, then you need to go for more expensive resources, uh, like offshore wind, like um, something else. So, and on the other, uh, the other study I was mentioning, uh, the main author is Ladenburg, and it was a study we worked for a couple of years on. Uh, simply, he was collecting responses from from uh, from people living in Denmark. How much are they willing to pay not to see the wind turbine? And uh, yes, people were willing to pay something not to see the wind turbine. And uh, yeah, well, then he ran his econometric analysis and and got that uh, yes, basically uh, willingness to uh, there is some willingness to pay not to see the wind turbine. So so these social constraints uh, also. Uh, pose some some limitations to to energy transition. So that would be, for example, about wind. But uh, uh, yes, also about industrial excess heat or excess heat in general. I mean, uh, uh, I was working with with my colleague and friend Fabian Buller for for many years uh, on industrial excess heat, and uh, I can always uh, recommend you to read Fabian's papers uh, uh, on on industrial excess heat. So he was more the the technical guy in our. Um, in our work, and I was more the GIS and energy system guy in our work, but we all we found a big potential. Uh, even though we also included the temperature levels, we included the distances, we included the densities. So, so we tried to be very detailed, not just to to use rule of thumb, but we were very detailed. We, we came to some 5.1% of district heating demand, which can be supplied by industrial excess heat. But as we can see, these projects are not happening, uh, and and so it's not about the economy. Why are they not happening? Some of them maybe uh, we, we it could be that our analysis were not 100% correct, so it's a still a national screening. Uh, but big part of this potential is not being utilized, and the question is why. And I think it's uh, it's not such a simple uh, economic response. So I think that it's a it's a thing that uh, companies uh, are making profit in other areas, so they don't they don't have the interest to to sell excess heat. Uh, uh, they maybe they don't have enough knowledge. Maybe we don't include all the costs, like cost of engineering work and so on. So there, there are many barriers to 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 implementation of that. Uh, so so uh, Daniel, before I go to why, then go into insulation of buildings and so on. Uh, so there there are lots of uh, non-technical constraints which we try to include in the model, but maybe we didn't manage to do that in the best possible way. So.
Thanks. That that was very elaborate, Stefan. So thanks for that. And and I think I think that that covers uh, many relevant parts. Uh, perhaps uh, we can just briefly touch upon if you see any existing uh, examples of of barriers to utilization of Exasheet in in uh, current Danish data centers or da- data centers that are on the way. Have you seen examples so far, or is that too early to say? It's still too early to say, but uh, my idea is that the data centers, uh, at least that was our assumption in the paper, and that's that's still my hope it works like that in reality, is that uh, big companies like that, like Google or like Facebook uh, or like Apple, when they come, they actually earn a lot of their money they earn on, on selling IT services. So to earn a percent or two more on selling excess heat and going to, into the field which... Uh, which they are not good at and where they need to go outside of their comfort zone, of course, under quotation mark. But uh, so I, I uh, and then if they decide to sell excess heat, they then, come, then they come into Danish uh, tax system where they actually need to uh, pay tax on the on the heat they on the excess heat they they sell. Uh, I think they they'll decide to give it away for free. And it gives a good image. They come to Denmark. Denmark is a green country. It gives them renewable electricity. Then they give away excess heat, which is used for district heating. So I think it makes a very nice uh, company image. So I hope they'll they'll do that. So I cannot see really the reason uh, why they would uh, choose not to do that. It could be that, for example, uh, they they uh, the companies uh, put data centers a bit outside of the district heating areas so where the electricity grid is stronger then somebody needs to pay for the connection pipes and then we come to the to the to the old question of uh, who bears the risks of course of course it shouldn't be the data center because they give away uh, heat for free then it's a question for the district heating company do we believe that uh, google will stay or that uh, I don't know, apple will stay for another 20 years because probably if we put all these pipes into the ground even with free heat it won't pay off in three years but it will pay off in 12 years uh, but yeah, that's a that's a classic um, question, which is not really specific for data center. So it's uh, yes, if are they that that's uh, that's the question for every kind of industrial access heat. Is this company going to be here in ten years? Right. So there is an element of risk that that should be addressed when when yes, going yes, into such that's, agreements. Yes, that's beyond my expertise. I mean, obviously there is there is a risk. Uh, <laughs> But that's why this this thing is so complex, and I think it brings us also to to the well-known issue here in Denmark that uh, yes, if uh, Danish government would release the taxes on excess heat, everything would work. I don't think that everything would work. Uh, I'm not an expert in state budget. I it's just my personal opinion. It won't hurt the state budget too much, but uh, but I don't think that even that they, I don't think that that is the cure for for utilization of excess heat. Uh, if if state would re, uh, if state would remove the the tax on excess heat, they would they would lose some income. But I don't think that that uh, that would flourish the the excess heat the excess heat uh, because yes, it's still the question left, and I don't think it's only for engineers, and I don't think it's only for economists to 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 discuss. Yes, do we have the right quantity of heat, right quality of heat? Do we know to build a heat exchanger, or how are the costs? Because um, what happens if uh, if data center move uh, in two years? Or what if, uh, uh, okay, dairy factory probably mm. won't move, but what if, uh, I don't know, some uh, pharmaceutical company move in a couple of years? And if they move uh, only 
to the other side of the border border in Sweden because they have some uh, tax uh, relief down there. I mean, that's that is a complicated issue which sure. uh, I would like personally to look at and to to work on this, but I don't think it's something. I don't have a solution for that. So. Hmm. But when when we speak about mm -hmm. uh, data centers in the Danish case, um, must it be Denmark, or what 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 makes Denmark special, or does it apply elsewhere? Or, uh, yeah, as I well? think it applies. Uh, I mean, uh, so so one thing I said is that cooling depends on the outside temperature. So the cooler the temperature, the uh, the the lower the the lower are the cost of cooling. So so that narrows down to regions like Denmark, like Sweden, Norway, Norway, Iceland, uh, maybe Baltic countries, uh, and probably uh, north north of North America. So north of USA and Canada. I think that would that would be an obvious choice just because of the lower outdoor temperature. That's one. And then Denmark has a uh, very clean electricity. So data centers only consume electricity. So that, again, <laughs> that narrows down Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Iceland, they all have clean electricity. Uh, I forgot to say Sweden, uh, sorry, Finland for the for the temp outside temperature, but I'm not sure how clean is their electricity. So maybe that would be a bit against uh, Sweden, but I'm not an expert. Uh, sorry, a bit against Finland, but I'm not an expert in Finland. So uh, a data center uh, provider or the IT service provider, they should look into Finland and no more. But anyway, coming back to, to Denmark and uh, transferability. So one is the cold climate. The other is the clean electricity. And the third one, which is uh, which we try to focus in this study, is also the excess heat. So we have a large district heating grid where you can give away your excess heat. And that would, as far as I know, favor uh, Denmark and Sweden. Uh, not so much Norway, because they don't have much excess uh, district heating. And... Uh, I think Finland has some district heating. So Finland and of course Baltic countries, yes, they they do have district heating. So so to to sum up, yeah, clean electricity, yes, uh, cold climate, and yes, uh, district heating grid. Right, makes sense. I think that covers the, I guess, both the methodological uh, aspects of your contributions, but also on the on the geographical side. Then I'm I'm curious regarding uh, the future. Uh, your study was conducted, I think, what well, maybe perhaps one and a half years ago. Uh, since then, things have been moving quite fast. Uh, I, I think you may be assuming. Uh, decarbonization of the grid, which is actually seemingly happening faster than than assumed in the study. Do you see any uh, new developments that that could mean differences regarding uh, data center deployment yeah, and a, the utilization a, of those? Well, the one thing is that our base year in the model is 2010, and if, and if we would move the base year to 2015, it could be that the that the results would be slightly changed, but. Uh, uh, if I would say that the results would be largely changed, that would be a big critique to such a study, because one of the of the uh, main assumptions when you when you read these kind of results is that they should be robust and they should be. We don't really want to say that uh, it should be 35.7 petajoules of excess heat. I mean, you, these results should always be uh, be read with some margin. So I don't expect that uh, that. The, Current uh, or the, the changes in the in the regulation or that uh, uh, a bit faster development uh, in in one or two years to change our results. The same way as I don't think that the decrease in demand due to Corona, unless it 
it goes for for many years i don't think it should influence results because these results we look from we 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 stand in 2010 and we look towards 2050 so so yes as i said in the beginning if our results would be so easily changed by uh, one or two years of uh, of uh, changes in the society then our results would essentially be wrong so i don't think anything significantly will change with these graphs or with these results okay yes Good to hear. So they're quite robust. They um, cr <laughs> yes, it's hard to tell, future, uh, yes, to predict, especially about the future, as you say. This ends our formal part of the the podcast, and I'm uh, curious uh, in the uh, what I've chosen to call the peer review section, which is where you um, perhaps have some recommendations for our audience. Um, if you have any fun or factual uh, contributions okay, that you would like okay. to, to suggest, <laughs> yes, I didn't I didn't prepare, so so I don't really uh, I don't really have much to say, but I can I can. Try. Uh, I was I was at a dining week last week. I really like this uh, idea that you can that you can go for 250 crowns per person in a fancy restaurant in Copenhagen. I really like it. Uh, I uh, advise people to 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 be on the mailing list to hear where it is when it is. And also, like if you are traveling to Copenhagen at that time, uh, that's uh, that's a very nice opportunity to go to a fancy restaurants, which would be otherwise very expensive. But no, they, I think they're it's uh, 250 crowns is not too much. Yes, uh, yeah, it's very nice weather in Denmark, so I would recommend, like, especially if you are in this area close to the Copenhagen Lungby or between Copenhagen and Lungby, just go to the just go to east, go to the, go to the beach. It's very nice. Sit on a bike 10, 15, 20 minutes right to the beach. I also did it uh, in the last week. I did it twice. I think it's a, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah. Use your spare time. Don't only work. Use your spare time. Run a bit. I do some pull-ups. I think it's a nice exercise. Also, like <laughs> on one hand, yes, for the muscles, but on the other hand, helps the brain work better. Yes, maybe I can. I thought of another thing uh, for people who like meat uh, and beer, which which is my favorite combination. I can recommend uh, Vorpix. I think it's a quite famous place, but uh, for people who are not aware of it. Yes, it's a very, very raw restaurant, but uh, I really like it. So excellent recommendation, Stefan. I and I think I should mention that Stefan is not paid by the Danish uh, Tourist Association or anyone else. Uh, it's uh, it's purely coming from the heart. So I, I I think that was the most comprehensive array of recommendations we've had so far in the podcast, and I really appreciate. The, the broad repre representations of sports and uh, I guess culinary uh, yeah, but, but if you, <laughs> culture. If you, that if you need info on Lungby, I'm actually an expert of uh, Lungby because I'm, I don't go too often to Copenhagen. So, so uh, <laughs> like if you need to know more about Lungby, like write me an email and I can give you some recommendations. <laughs> right. So, if any of the listeners is any 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 time coming to Technical University of exactly, Denmark, exactly. Stefan is your uh, local guide. Yes. Right. Thank you. Thank very you so much, much Stefan. It's been a pleasure.
As always, you can find links to the resources mentioned in the podcast in the notes to this episode. I'm very happy to hear your comments, so get in touch with me, Daniel Sneo. My details are also in the notes. If you rate us in whatever platform you're using, you may also help the research reach new ears. Sound design is by Dia Sisa, and the podcast is hosted by Technical University of Denmark's Sustainability Division. We publish whenever there is new research and when we can make schedules meet. So consider Energy Policy Cast more as a surprise gift in your podcast feed than a regular broadcast. Thank you for listening.